Here is your Radio Theater Channel weekly podcast for download. The RTC still has the very best old-time radio on the live streaming. And if it's music you love, tune in to the RTC Music Channel, where this link and many others are on our website at oldtimeradiolisten.com. Now, here's Jim. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the RTC Weekly Download. I'm your host, Jim Dolan. Well, today is for sleuths, because we have two half-hour adventures, one with Michael Shane, and the first one we're going to listen to is none other than Sam Spade, Detective. From 1948, this is the critical author caper. The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic, the non-alcoholic hair tonic that contains lanolin. Wild Root Cream Oil, again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. Detective Agency. Yeah, it's only me from over the sea. Oh, Sam, how was it at the beach? Same as it's always, uh, uh, foggy. Did you go in? Well, I was up to my neck from the first rumble. If you mean, did I go in the water? I did. Was it cold? I didn't notice. I was too busy landing a corpse. Oh, oh Sam, what a coincidence. Hmm? I was just reading my new library book. Yeah. And it's all about a body in the water, pushed over a cliff. Mm-hmm. And there's a strangest girl in it with a, with a strange mother. Biggest. And she drinks, the girl, and runs away with a chauffeur. That rich people. They can't do that. They're stealing my material. Oh, no, Sam, no. It's by Owen Fitzstephen. He's very well thought of. Mother always understands his plot. Not tonight, she won't. Stay where you are, Angel. I'll be right down to dictate my report on the critical author caper. Dashiell Hammett, America's leading detective fiction writer and creator of Sam Spade, the hard-boiled private eye, and William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, join their talents to make your hair stand on end with the adventures of Sam Spade. Presented by the makers of Wild Root Cream Oil for the hair. You know as well as I do, fellas, your hair is one of the first things any gal notices. So it's really important to keep your hair spruced up right all the time. The answer? Why, of course. Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic. Wild Root Cream Oil grooms your hair neatly and naturally, relieves dryness, and removes loose, ugly dandruff. I have a hunch, fellas, she'll help herself to another look if you're using Wild Root. Get Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic in bottles or the handy new tube. It's again and again the choice of men who put good grooming first. Later in this program, we'll have an important announcement. Listen for it. And now, with Howard Duff starring as Spade, Wild Root brings to the air the greatest private detective of them all in the adventures of Sam Spade. I'm looking over oh. the phone. Yeah, come on in. Let's get this over. Oh, can you wait till I finish this chapter? Hmm? It's a page to go. The detective had just found this girl in a sordid rooming house. Mm-hmm. He had this fight with her boyfriend and boinged him. Boinged him? And now butter wouldn't melt in her mouth. But I don't trust her. What's the name of the book? Morgue Fruit. Morgue Fruit. His last was a spindly stiff. Mm-hmm. That was about this neurotic nurse who was in love with her employer. Effie, how long have a... you been reading this kind of trash? Well, it's not trash, Sam. Oh, you mean he makes his characters live. Mm. And I love his detective. He's real hard-boiled like a ha- Dashiell Hammett. Dashiell Hammett? <laughs> Mark your place and come in. All right, sir. <laughs> oh, dear, dear. Uh, ready? Yes, Sam. Oh, I can hardly wait. Ah, that's the way I like you, eager. To finish the chapter, I mean. Please. I wonder what she's up to. She's guilty, of course. Of course, but what of? You can read it when I'm finished. Oh, my goodness, we've got a report to get out, and here we are chattering about books. <laughs> date, August? I will give the date. Yes, Sam. Uh, date? Fill it in. To uh, Missing Persons Bureau, San Francisco Police. Attention, Sergeant Schwartz from Samuel Spade, license number 127596. Subject, Gabriel Leggett. Dear Dave, I uh, should have handed it over to you at the start, but you know me, I'm greedy. I cashed the check she'd sent me as a retainer without consulting my better judgment. Gave the money to Effie to pay bills without batting an eye. Borrowed a dime car fare from the corner newsboy without collateral. And arrived in front of the Leggett Mansion on Knob Hill without the foggiest notion of what I had been retained for. 
I'm Gertrude Leggett, Mr. Spade. It's about my stepdaughter, Gabrielle. She's been missing since the funeral. Uh, Whose funeral was that, Mrs. Leggett? My husband, Gabrielle's father. That was nearly three weeks ago. She came to me afterwards and said she was going down to Quesada to our country place for a few days. That she wanted to be alone with her grief. But I discovered that she never arrived at Quesada. Do I make myself clear, Mr. Spade? Yeah, except for one thing. Why do you want her back? First, she may do something to disgrace me. She'll undoubtedly try her best to do so. Secondly, unless I get her signature to some papers, in accordance with her father's will, I can't go on living in this house. Furthermore... That's okay. You've convinced me. Now, when she left, what did she take with her? Just one piece of light luggage and her liquor case, of course. She drinks, you know. That's not my place to disapprove. I merely thought it might help you to know. Well, we could case all the bars in town, but it'd take a lot of time and a lot of money, besides them on the wagon. Well, you might talk to Eric, my chauffeur. He drove her to the station, or says he did. Where do I find him? Let's see. Ten o'clock. He'll be loitering down the hall somewhere in the neighborhood of the linen closet, helping the upstairs maid fold the sheets. Uh, I'd knock first if I were you and avoid embarrassment. Thanks for the tip. Oh, uh, mind if I have a look at your stepdaughter's room? Eric will give you the key. I'm not allowed one. There he is. <laughs> oh, Harry. Oh, excuse me, sir. Thank you for your kind assistance, Mr. Collins. It's okay, Myrtle. Anytime. Um, <clears throat> yes, sir. You Eric? Collinson. Uh, what can I do for you? I'd uh, like the key to Miss Gabrielle's room. You the law? Why? You expecting some? Uh, the old lady's been threatening to yell cop. She decided to whisper instead. Oh, private dick. You catch on fast, lover boy. Okay, I'll uh, let you in her room. Come on. Mrs. Leggett says you drove Gabrielle to the station. She says that, does she? Isn't that what you told her? Uh, I'm not telling you what I told anyone. Search yourself. After you. Mm-mm. What's eating you? Nothing at all. Just want some privacy. Oh, now, wait a minute. I'm responsible. Go help Myrtle. Give me those keys. Oh, listen. You keep it. Hello. Hi. Let me in. Don't have your life. Her room was, shall we say, untidy. The mirrored dressing table was chipped around the edges and Rain's helter-skelter across it between two polo pony bookends was a mess of books. Three odd volumes of the Harvard five-foot shelf, a horse breeder's gazette, and a bunch of detective novels. I picked one up and opened it to the title page. It was called Morgue Fruit, and it was by Owen Fitzstephen, author of The Corpulent Cadaver, The Spindly Stiff, and The Kiss-Off. It was autographed to the author's great and good friend, the late Edgar Leggett. The signature looked familiar, but it didn't look like a lead. Neither did anything else in the room. I started to unlock the door with the key on the ring I grabbed away from Eric, and the light caught the smooth side of a Christopher medal. It was engraved, For Eric, Forever, Gabby. When uh, Forever Eric went off duty that night, he went across town. The trail ended at a crummy, broken-down rooming house out in the film room. He let himself in with a key and climbed the stairs. I waited until he was out of sight. In uh, more time than it takes to tell, the door cracked open and a nose that could only belong to a landlady raised it out at me. She was uh, gumming a sensen. What do you want? They uh, get settled in all right? They ain't nobody settling in on me. <clears throat> Never touched me. You got me wrong, Mom. I uh, meant the newlyweds. Did they uh, raise the rent money all right? Oh, them. Raise it and spend it. He's a Dick Smither. Dick Smithers. Slops it up all day and throws the dead soldiers out the window. <laughs> and they call it a honeymoon. Who are you? Uh, I'm her uh, ex-husband, darling. I uh, came to pay her the back alimony I owe. Well, give it to me. I'll see she gets... Oh, no, you don't. No, no, don't you come pushing in here. Quiet. After hours. <laughs> don't allow callers in here after 10 o'clock. House rule. Shut up. Well, I don't... What's their room number? Now, give it to me or I'll shake it out of you, darling. 212. 212. And if it weren't for these new uppers, I'd let you try it. Oh, is that what those are? Uh, thank you, Grand Duchess Marie. Smart Alec. No wonder you can't hang on to a woman. You're so right. You drove her to drink. I did not. Alimony's still good for you, young whippersnapper. Who is it? Western Union. All right, let me... I, I told you to stay away. Now beat it. Harry, what is 
Uh, look, Eric, I don't want any trouble, but I'm coming in. Over my dead body. Eric? Get back in the room, Gabby. Now, look, I, I won't let you hurt her, so... Now, look, help... Collinson, don't, don't no, make no, me don't, do it. Don't I don't wise. want to, okay? I'm sorry. Eric! Eric! What have you done to Nothing a bucket of cold water can't cure. Sit down, I want to talk to you. Who are you? Sam Spade. I'm a private detective. Your stepmother hired me to find you. Oh? You know why she wants to find me? Do you? She wants to kill me. She killed my father, now she'll kill me. Can you prove that? My father never had a day's illness in his life. She could drink three quarts of brandy in any evening. Do you believe a man like that could die of heart failure? Frankly, I could. Now she's starting to think kind of talk about me. She wants to railroad me to the insane asylum. Do I seem crazy to you? No. A little nervous, maybe. This idea you have about your father's death. Talk some more, will you? All right. I'll tell you the whole thing. But I gotta have a drink first. Hey, I can't get the top off. Give me a hand, will you? Sure. Uh, you need a corkscrew for this one. Yeah, I think there's one down there in the cupboard. I don't see one. Back in the corner. A little farther. There. No, there's nothing. Hey! I dreamed I was a character in a detective story. The title of the story was Morgue Fruit, and the author, a man named Fitz Stephen, was trying to figure out a way to turn me into a red herring before knocking off his number one suspect. I tried to tell him it's against the rules to make a detective a red herring, but he said it was a new kind of murder yarn, and it didn't matter anyway because there wasn't even a victim. That's what he thought. Makers of Wild Root Cream Oil are presenting the weekly Sunday adventure of Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, Sam Spade. Now, here's important news on good grooming. If you want the well-groomed look that helps you get ahead socially and on the job, listen... Recently, thousands of people from coast to coast who bought Wild Root Cream Oil for the first time were asked, how does Wild Root Cream Oil compare with the hair tonic you previously used? The results were amazing. Better than four out of five who replied said they preferred Wild Root Cream Oil. Remember, non-alcoholic Wild Root Cream Oil contains lanolin. And here's the announcement we promised you. Now you can get Wild Root Cream Oil, America's leading hair tonic, in a generous new 25-cent size on sale at all drug and toilet goods counters. It's also available in larger economy bottles and the handy new tube. Get Wild Root Cream Oil again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first. By the way, smart girls use Wild Root Cream Oil, too, and mothers say it's grand for training children's hair. Now, back to the critical author caper. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. When I uh, came to, it had came the dawn, and I was still a character in a detective story, and I felt more like a red herring than I had in my dream. I had dragged myself across my own trail and wound up no place. My quarry had fled, leaving nothing behind but empty bottles with fingerprints on them. I lifted the few and hustled over to the Bureau of Identification. Half an hour later, I got the report. They were mine. All mine. I wondered what a detective novelist would make of that. I decided to find out. I had met Owen Fitzstevens several years back in uh, Seattle when I was digging dirt on a chain of fake mediums. He was plowing the same field for literary material, and we pooled forces. I got more out of the combination than he did since he knew the spook racket inside out. I cleaned up my job in a couple of weeks and we parted friends. His San Francisco apartment was on the sixth floor of the St. Mark. He was standing at its door holding out a lean hand to greet me when I got there. Well, you're looking fit, Sam. Little red in the face. That's the red herring I ate last night. How's the uh, literary grip go? Uh, You haven't been reading me? No, where'd you get that funny idea? Oh, there was something in your tone, as in the voice of one who has bought an author for a couple of dollars. (laughs) I suppose you're still hounding the unfortunate evildoer? Yeah, that's how I happened to look you up. Uh, 
You autographed a book for Edgar Leggett. Oh, yes, yes. Mog fruit. Distressingly prophetic. Uh, what do you know about that family? Oh, what have they been up to now? How well you know the girl, uh, Gabrielle? Well, quite well, since she's a duplicate of her father. She has brains, but there's something black in her. Something she doesn't want to think about but can't forget. She's a neurotic who keeps her body sensitive and ready. I don't know what for. While she drugs her mind with drink and lunatic notions. Uh-huh. Yet she's cold and she's sane. If I had something I wanted to forget, I'd anesthetize my mind directly, leave my body stay strong and ready. I uh, hope you don't think any of this stuff means anything to me. Oh, yes. I remember you now. You were always like that. Tell me what's up while I try to find one-syllable words for you. You uh, know the fellow that drives for him? Uh, Eric? Mm-hmm. Well, he was released from Folsom and Leggett's custody when he was 18 years old. Murdered his father. Nice kid. What about him? Uh, Mrs. Leggett hired me to find Gabrielle. I found her with Eric in a rooming house out in the Fillmore. She begged me to save her from her stepmother's murderous schemes, and then she knocked me cold. Mm, well, that's trivial, dull. I've been thinking of the Leggett family in terms of Dumas, and you bring me a piece of Jim Crackery out of O'Henry. If I were writing this, Gabrielle would kill her stepmother, or dupe Eric into doing it for her. Or it, no, that won't do. Not sufficient motive. Murder has to have a motive, you know. Why? She's uh, insane, isn't she? I wonder, are you saying that carelessly, or do you really think she's off? Well, I don't know. She's uh, got a kind of a wild look about her. Her eyes shift from green to brown and back without ever settling on one color. Uh, how much have you turned up on her in your uh, snooping around, Owen? Are you who make your living snooping, sneering at my curiosity about people and my attempts to satisfy it? No, we're different, Owen. I do mine with the object of putting people in jail, and I get paid for it, though not as much as I should. But I do mine with the object of putting people in books, and I get paid for it, though not as much as I should. Yeah, but what good does that do? Well, what good does putting them in jail do? Well, it relieves congestion. You put enough people in jail, and cities wouldn't have any traffic yeah. problems in this part. Hmm? Well, then all you have to do is to wait till one of them kills the other and put the survivor in jail. It's simple. Yeah, but who's going to kill who? Perhaps they both have plans, both Gabrielle and her stepmother. Looks as if you'd have to guard both of them. I think I'll settle for my client. As far as Gabrielle's concerned, her husband ought to be able to watch out for her. Her what? Husband. She and Eric got married. (laughs) Well, now there you are. You didn't tell me anything about that. Lord knows how much else there is you haven't told me. Uh, Pardon me. Don't go away. Telegram, sign here. Oh, thank you. There you are. Thank you, sir. Now, I wonder what... Uh, Good Lord, this is positively corny. Listen to this, Spade. I appeal to you as a friend of my dead husband. Come immediately, Sunset Hotel, Quesada. Trouble, danger. Do not communicate. Gabrielle must not know. Signed, Gertrude Leggett. Spade. Yeah, Did you have this wire sent to me as a prank? I was just going to ask you if you sent it to yourself as a prank. Hmm. I have it. Hmm? The key to the whole thing. It's a red herring. (laughs) I didn't think that Stephen would be able to hold out very long against his professional curiosity, and I didn't imagine he thought I would. I caught the next bus for Quesada. Quesada is a one-hotel town pasted on the rocky side of a young mountain that slopes into the Pacific Ocean some 80 miles from San Francisco. I got there at 11-something that night, stepped down from the bus and crossed the street to the Sunset Hotel. All right, all right, keep your shirt on. Uh, Mrs. Leggett registered here? What's your name? Owen Fitzstephen. Oh, she left a message for you. Said uh, for you to wait right here and don't leave till she gets back. Yeah, she say where she was going? Oh, it's probably over visiting with her daughter and new son-in-law. New over to the cove. How do you get there? Well, you'd never be able to find it at night uh, unless you you went all the way around by the East Road. Yeah, Not yeah. then, I'm sure, unless you knew the country. Well, how do you it's get first... there in the daytime? Well, uh, you go down this street. You take the fork on the ocean side and follow that up along the cliff. It's easily enough found in the daytime, but you you never 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 in the world you, you yeah okay okay night. heard it, you it, the first time. So I waited until morning. Stupid me! I found the road out to the point that had never really been a road. 
The side of the ledge became steeper and steeper until the path was simply a narrow shelf on the face of the cliff. The cliff that sheared off 150 feet or more to ravel out into the ocean. A breeze from the general direction of China was pushing fog over the top of the cliff, making a noisy lather of seawater at the bottom. Rounding a corner where the cliff was steepest, I chucked my cigarette over the edge and watched it spin downwards. And that's when I saw it. I had to go waist-deep into the Pacific to lift the body. I got my hands under the armpits, found solid ground for my feet, and dragged it up beyond the high tide mark. It was Gertrude Leggett. Somebody came staggering down the beach to meet us. She dead? Yeah, Gabrielle, she's dead. Oh, oh, the witch is dead. Hey, take me back to town, will you? Buy me a drink, huh? Sit down there. Sit down. What's the big idea? Don't you know I'm sick? Somehow I don't think you're that sick. I think you could make some sense. Sense? That's a laugh. You don't know me. I've never been able to think clearly the way other people do. No matter what I try to think about, there's a fog that tries to get between me and it. You understand how horrible I can become going through life like that? Nobody thinks clearly, no matter what they pretend. Thinking's a dizzy business. A matter of catching as many of those foggy glimpses as you can and fitting them together the best you can. Trouble with you is you've been enjoying your misery. You've been so busy trying to prove that you're nuts, it's a wonder you haven't really driven yourself nuts. How do you know I haven't? Because you're too anxious to admit it. All right, I'm sane if you want it that way. I'm just evil. There's something black inside me. What was that again? Something black. Everybody knows that about my family. My father, too. Who told you that? I always knew it. They say my real mother killed herself. But I know better. I know how to open the drawer where she keeps the gun. Every day, Gertrude lies on Mother's bed, and we play killing the witch. Yeah. And she comes in in the night and bends over my crib. And she's changed herself, so she looks like Mother instead of the witch. But I know better, and I hold up the gun with both hands. Very hard to pull with both hands. It's very hard to pull the trigger. But I must do it, or the witch will eat me up. And then there's a big noise, and red all over, and I can't get out. I can't get out. Now listen to me. You were beginning to make some sense. I don't run away from it. Gertrude was lying on your mother's bed. That's your stepmother? Yeah. She was my nurse. She married father. Not so fast. How old were you when your mother died? Four. Four and a half. Did your father know about the game with the gun? No, I don't think so. Did anybody? Gertrude said I must never tell anyone, because they'd send me away. And I never did. Not till I grew up. I was with Owen Fitzstephen. Yeah. I had a lot to drink. I told him. After that, he began seeing Gertrude. When finally my father died. But it didn't do her any good. Because Owen really loved me. Now, watch it. Now, let's get this straight. You'll have to straighten it out again later on with a doctor to help you. This is to help me. When you were a little child, Gertrude taught you that killing the, that killing the witch game to use you as a murder weapon against your mother. Then she filled you full of ideas of guilt and fear so you'd keep quiet about it. When you told the story to Owen, he blackmailed your stepmother into knocking off your father. That made you feel responsible for his death, too, so you ran away. Now, Gertrude said I killed her, too. You might, but I doubt it. Now, uh, try and remember. Was Owen up here tonight? I thought I heard his voice. But I hear voices sometimes. I'm hearing it again. Listen. Do you hear anything? I didn't hear anything but the wind and the beat of the surf at first. When I did hear the voice, I sent Gabby for a doctor before I investigated. He was pretty badly mangled in the rocks. He'd fallen nearly as far as he'd pushed Gertrude, but was still alive. I made him as comfortable as I could, and 
Finally, he opened his eyes. Hello, Sam. You messed yourself up good. Yeah. No more rocks for me. Not unless you make Alcatraz. You know, I had half an idea when you came to see me in San Francisco that you were secretly nursing some exceptional, idiotic theory. Thanks, Owen, but I never had any theory. whole thing dropped into my lap. Don't be too sure of that. Understand at present, I admit nothing. Later on, if I'm forced to, the very number of my crimes will be to my advantage. On the theory that nobody but a lunatic could have committed so many. Oh, there's not so many, only Gertrude, your co-author of the murder of the late Edgar Leggett. Nonsense. Crimes and crimes dating from the cradle. Even literature shall help me. Not your own books. Why not? Didn't the critics agree that the spindly stiff bore all the marks of authorial degeneracy? Evidence on to save my sweet neck. And I shall wave my mangled body at them. A ruin whose crimes and high heaven have surely brought sufficient punishment upon it. Yeah, you'll probably make a go of it. Legally, you're entitled to beat the jump of ever anybody was. Illegally? You mean insane? Tell me the truth, Sam. Am I? I think that's what they'll say. But that spoils everything. It's no fun if I'm really cracked. No fun at all. Period and a report. Just goes to show, doesn't it? Well, there you go again, Effie. I mean, if anything like that happened in real life, you wouldn't believe it. You mean if anything like that happened in fiction? Oh, no. The author is never the guilty party. Well, this author was. But that's not fair. The author is never supposed to be guilty You're of... You're right. Any... You're right, Effie. He shouldn't be even a suspect. Maybe a red herring, but... Type that up, Effie. Oh, all right, Sam. Anything else, Sam? Yeah, phone the drugstore and order some red herring. I mean, some aspirin. More and more folks are turning to famous Wild Root Cream Oil every day. Wild Root Cream Oil gives you all you ever dreamed of in a hair tonic. It grooms your hair neatly and naturally the way you like it, the way other people like it. What's more, Wild Root Cream Oil relieves dryness and removes loose, ugly dandruff. So join the millions with handsome hair. Tonight, or first thing tomorrow, ask at your drug or toilet goods counter for Wild Root Cream Oil. Also, ask your barber for a professional application. If you've never tried it before, get the generous new 25-cent bottle just introduced. It's Wild Root Cream Oil's Get Acquainted size, and once you've made the acquaintance of Wild Root Cream Oil, you'll find you've made a lifelong friend. Come on in, Trickle Toes. Well, here it is, Sam. And I liked it even better than morgue fruit. You did. I mean, it's not so realistic. <laughs> I like a romantic type story myself. You Lots do. Of, of atmosphere and psychology and those. Oh, you've got to have those. You really should be a writer, Sam. <laughs> you think so? Of course, detective stories don't pay much. Oh, that's true. But if you write enough of them, <laughs> and look at all the material you've got. No good. Never do for fiction. But, Sam, there's already that radio series, The Adventures of You-Know-Who, Sunday Night. That's what I mean. I don't make a penny out of it. Well, it's your own fault. Sam, I don't want to seem critical, but... If you played your cards right, you could have owned a piece of that show. What? And follow Blondie? Go home, Effie. I think I will, Sam. Just curl up with a good book. All right. I wonder who killed who. Well, when you find out, don't let me know. Oh, you know you can't wait. No, I can. <laughs> good night, Sam. Good night, The Adventures of Sam Spade, Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, are produced and directed by William Spear. Sam Spade is played by Howard Duff. Lorene Tuttle is Effie. The Adventures of Sam Spade are written for radio by Bob Tallman and Gil Dow. Musical direction is by Lud Gluskin, with score composed by Rene Garrigan. Join us again next Sunday when author Dashiell Hammett and producer William Spear join forces for another adventure with Sam Spade brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil. Again and again, the choice of men who put good grooming first.
This is Dick Joy reminding you to... Get Wild Root Cream Oil, Charlie. It keeps your hair in trim. You see, it's non-alcoholic, Charlie. It's made with soothing lanolin. You better get Wild Root Cream Oil, Charlie. Start using it today. You'll find that you will have a tough time, Charlie. Keeping all the gals away. Hiya, Baldy. Get Wild Root right on. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Sam Spade, detective. Now let's listen to another detective, Dick Powell. You remember Richard Diamond, private detective? Well, Dick Powell is educating Charlie McCarthy on detecting. Here we go. Just because I've played a private eye on the screen a few times, people think I'm that kind of fellow in real life. Well, let me set you straight. I'm a plain guy, the same as everybody else. I've got a plain home in Beverly Hills, a plain swimming pool, and I drive a plain Cadillac. <laughs> but I like to be agreeable. So when Edgar Bergen asked me to help him cure Charlie McCarthy of this detective business, I said, okay. I borrowed an office from a friend of mine, stuck a sign on the door that read Dick Powell, private investigator, and sat on to wait for Edgar and Charlie. They showed up bright and early that morning. Come in. Well, here we are, Dickie Bird, all ready to start private eyeing. I got my blackjack, and I'm just looking for a head to bounce it off. <laughs> Charlie, I can see that you have the wrong idea about the detective business. Dick's right. It isn't nearly as exciting as you think it is. It isn't? No. It means long, tedious hours, hard, dull jobs, routine police work. And believe me, Charlie, a policeman's lot is not a happy one. Hmm. Policeman's lot is not a happy one. Gilbert to Sullivan. Gilbert to Sullivan. Come in. One chorus. That is all. Fool me, Dick. I know what goes on with private eyes. Now, come on. When does the beautiful girl walk in here? Charlie, it's only in the movies that the beautiful girl walks in and throws herself at the private eye. Well, then what are we waiting for? Let's go to the movies. <laughs> no, Charlie, I agree with Dick. A detective's life isn't as glamorous as you think it is. There's someone at the door. Come in. He's pretty young. A beautiful girl walked in. She was tall and willowy with plenty of curves. And the clinging gown she wore really clanged. <laughs> or was it clung? I didn't care. I wasn't in the mood for grammar. And then as I noticed the ugly welt behind her ear, the bruise under her eye and the scratches on her throat, some sixth sense told me she was in trouble. <laughs> so I said to her, won't you sit down? Thanks. I think I will. There weren't any chairs around, so she sat on the floor. <laughs> I could see Charlie was entranced by this glamorous creature, by the tone of his voice when he spoke. Hello, beautiful. Why are you talking to me? I wasn't looking at Bergen. <laughs> What's your trouble, sister? I've been a naughty girl. I just killed my husband. Well, we all make mistakes. <laughs> but I think I was drugged. Ah, now we're getting somewhere. Do you suspect anyone? Yes. Does the eagle's eye mean anything to you? No, but I imagine it means a lot to the eagle. <laughs> it's a secret society. They're trying to blackmail me. They want a hundred thousand dollars. Why don't you go to the police? Well, that's no good. They wouldn't give her a dime. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, sister, but I can't handle your case. Would five thousand dollars change your mind? <laughs> Even before the words were out of her mouth, I could feel my mind changing. <laughs> I told the girl I'd take her case. She was so grateful she put her arms around my neck. This came as a surprise, because she was ten feet away from me at the time. <laughs> then as she rested her head on my shoulder, I noticed for the first time that her ears were pierced. But not for earrings. You could have driven a truck through those holes. <laughs> More than a minute after the girl left my office, there was a knock at the door. Whoever knocked forgot to take off his brass knuckles. Quick, Bergen, see who it is. Look, they're in the hall. 
Why, it's a duck. And it's dead. A dead duck, huh? Looks like foul play. <laughs> Wait a minute. There's a note attached to its leg. A note? What does it say, Dick? It says here, lay off this case, or it'll happen to you what happened to this duck. And that shouldn't happen to a dog. <laughs> Signed, the eagle's eye. What do you make of that note, fellas? Well, I think the Eagle's Eye gang have a gag writer lurking for them. <laughs> Boys, this duck has been stuffed by a taxidermist. We can trace it. Okay, let's get a taxi and go and see a dermist. <laughs> well, here's the taxidermist shop. Let's go in. Oh, it's a musty old place. I wonder where the taxidermist is. <laughs> And uh, welcome, uh, welcome, friends, to uh, Ursel Twing's tidy uh, taxidermy tavern. <laughs> Mr. Twing, uh, right. do you stuff birds? <laughs> well, uh, now you asked me a very, very nice question there. Yes, As a matter of fact, I do. Uh, heavens to Elizabeth, yes, I do. I stuff everything from an olive to a ballot box. Yeah. <laughs> you must be very good at your profession. Oh, you'll never know. As a matter of fact, I'm a regular Dr. Jekyll with the hide. Then tell us, Mr. Twing, did you stuff this duck? Well, now let me see. I, 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 I might have had a hand in it. <laughs> then where would you... Then where would you say this duck came from? Well, offhand, I'd say from a duck egg. <laughs> sure that you're a taxidermist? Well, I'm fairly certain of it. As a matter of fact, I want stuffed a grizzly, well. if you'll pardon the expression, bear skin. Oh. We are not interested in... Do you see that tiger over there? Stuffing that beast was my greatest accomplishment. What's so wonderful about stuffing a tiger? While it was still alive? <laughs> Mr. Twing, would you make up your mind? Did you or did you not stuff this duck? Well, now, just let me see a minute. Um, no, gentlemen, that is not my stuffing. I always use breadcrumbs. Right. <laughs> Come on, fellas, let's get out of here. We've got work to do. Well, I've got work to do, too. I'm stuffing a giraffe, and I'm simply up to its neck. Goodbye, I... Uh... Well, we weren't solving the case, so I decided it might be a good idea to drop in on the girl. She was wearing one of those strapless eating gowns. And if she was trying to hide a guilty conscience, she certainly wasn't dressed for it. <laughs> she seemed surprised to see us. Well, I'm surprised to see you. There are a few questions we want to ask you, Miss... Uh... Oh, by the way, you didn't tell us your name. It's Mary. Ah, oh, Mary, what a pretty name. Mary Crummel Gruber. Ah, uh, Mary, what a pretty name. Why say there? I say, hello, I hope I'm not intruding. Well, who are you? Okay, now start talking. Oh, well, I'm this lady's next door neighbor, you see. I come in here often by mistake. Oh. Uh -huh. <laughs> now we're getting somewhere. Did you ever see this duck before? Oh, yes. Interesting. Tell us more about your wife and the duck. Well, she had a habit of going out in the backyard and scratching in the garden, you know. The duck? Uh, no, my wife. She had the hives, you know. <laughs> and in the evening, she had a habit of sitting in the easy chair by the fire and listening to the wireless. Your wife? No, the duck. No. Oh, he's just crazy about Lum and Abner. <laughs> exactly. What did you do after the murder? Oh, I just picked her up by the feathers. Your wife or the duck? Well, you know, I don't quite remember. You see, <laughs> the lights went out about that time. Oh, I... Little by little, things were starting to make sense, although not to me. I knew if we could find the person who drugged Mary and murdered her neighbor's wife, it would lead us to the dirty rat that killed the duck. <laughs> then the police moved in. I was in the office talking things over with Bergen and Charlie when Inspector Farrell walked in. Farrell wasn't one of your old-fashioned flat-footed cops. He was of the modern school, college-bred, cultured, and soft-spoken. He came over to me and said, Fasten the jobbers! <laughs> Is it you that's mixed up in this murder, dish me by? Yes, Inspector, and these are my two assistants. Faith and be jobbers. No, Bergen and McCarthy. <laughs> and now be 
jabbers. What's all this I'm hearing about your digging up a dead duck, Dick? <laughs> <laughs> I've got it right here, Inspector. Well, hand it over now. I'd like to take a gander at that duck. You forgot to save the jabbers. That's all I did. That's what I owe you. But jabbers, this job looks to me like the work of Frisco Eddie. You mean the Chicago gangster? No, no, no. You're thinking of Boston Eddie. He's a Chicago gangster. Frisco Eddie hangs around Pittsburgh. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I know the guy you mean. He's the Frisco Eddie who pals around with Cleveland Sam, the Philadelphia gambler from Detroit. Hey, you guys, what is it? What about this dead duck? Are we going to forget it or eat it or what? Well, take me by. I'll give you 24 hours to bring in the killer, or it's the who's go for you. Be jabbers. <laughs> Thank you, me boy. <laughs> well, no, I got to be going. I'm after parking me car in a 20-minute zone, and I can't afford to get in any trouble with the police. So long, jabbers. Yes. So long, Inspector. <laughs> Fellas, we got to work fast. we got to find the headquarters of the Eagle Eye. Look out. Here they come. Stand back, Bergen. I'll handle them. I don't know how long I was unconscious. <laughs> there must have been a dozen thugs who broke in and beat up Edgar, Charlie, and myself. I staggered over to the mirror and saw there was a mouse under my eye. But when I went to feel it, it ran away. <laughs> I looked at Edgar and Charlie. They were just coming Ooh. to. Ooh. Oh, oh. I feel like I've been hit on the head with a sledgehammer and run through a mangle. Every bone in my body aches. I wish I felt that good. No <laughs> more privatized stuff for me, Charlie. I hope you've learned your lesson. Yeah. Don't worry, boys. We won't let them get away with this. The Ooh. fun is just beginning. Did you say fun? Sure. We're going after that gang. You mm. and Charlie meet me here early tomorrow morning. Oh. When I turned my back, something struck me, and I fell to the floor unconscious. I don't know exactly what happened, but to this day, I've always suspected that Burgett hit me over the head with Charlie McCarthy. I was driving pretty fast when the big black sedan came roaring at me. I tried to hold the car from crashing into the guardrail, but suddenly the wheel twisted out of my hands like a headstrong woman, and the car got a mind of its own. The New Adventures of Michael Shane, Private Detective. Michael Shane, reckless, red-headed Irishman, back again in his old haunts in New Orleans. This is your director, Bill Russo, inviting you to listen to another transcribed episode, which we call The Pursuit of Death. Hi, Charlie. Oh, hi, Mr. Shane. Got the five-star? Hot off the press. Here you are. Ah, thanks. What? Hey, take a look at Dream Girl, Charlie. You know, when you grow up... Yeah. But she looks like she's asleep on her feet. Hey, paper lady! What? I said paper lady. Don't do that. Don't talk behind my back. Back to Okay, me. okay, lady. Boy, she must have had a bad dream. No, Charlie, it isn't sleep in her eyes, it's fear. Hey, look out, lady! Hey, you... What are you trying to do, get yourself killed? Or haven't you heard it's bad to walk in front of traffic? Somebody pushed me. I'm behind in the seat. Nobody pushed you, lady. I told you I was pushed. I was just walking. I I didn't want to cross the street. Somebody pushed me. Okay, okay, somebody pushed you. You feel better now? Yes. Yes, I do. Well, good, and I'll... No, no, don't let go. Oh, no, I... Is that tight enough? I suppose that sounds silly. Now, for the first time in weeks, I can... Who are you? Mike Shane, private detective. One of my hobbies, keeping beautiful women from crawling under cars. You're solid. Dependable. I, I need something solid. Did, did you say private detective? 
Yeah, from year to year. They issue the license down at City Hall. I knew you. Sure, lady. Now, why don't you take it easy, huh? You'll break up if you keep on like this. I want you to do something for me. Yeah, like what? I want to hire you to, to protect me. Mm-hmm. From what? From being followed all the time. Find out who's following me. Catch him. Make him stop. You're driving me crazy. Look, lady, did you ever think of going to the doctor? Maybe maybe you're just imagining things. Or that business with the pushing. No, no. Oh, no, no. Wait a minute. He's waiting. Waiting and waiting for a chance to kill me. In a moment, we'll return to the new adventures of Michael Shane and the pursuit of death. What did you say to the BX clerk who sold you $25 worth of gifts? Sack it to me, sack it to me. Ronald's going to furnish our house at the BX. He doesn't believe in being off base. I'm a first baseman. You a ball player? No, I do all my buying first at the base exchange. It had been a particularly dull day. Even the weather had been dull. with heavy clouds hanging over the city. New Orleans gets days like that. They make you sleepy. I quit the office at five and stopped on the corner to buy my paper from Charlie, the newsboy. Then this Joan Crawford type got in the way of a car and would have been hit if I hadn't hauled her back onto the sidewalk. She must have gone for my daring do because she hired me on the spot. Yeah, to protect her. She thought somebody was trying to kill her. I was in no position to argue with someone holding 20 a day under my nose, so I started to drive her home. I found out her name, Shirley Kernan, but she wasn't in a talking mood, so I just let her relax. She put her head against the back of the seat and closed her eyes. Fifteen minutes later, when I pulled up in front of the house, her eyes were still closed. Please, don't move. Don't you want to go in? I'd like to just sit here for a minute. I haven't felt quiet and restful like this for a long time. My day started at five. I've got lots of time. A foolish woman. Afraid of shadows. Yeah, of shadows and shadows in New Orleans. You can't imagine what it's like. All the time, day and night, with the feeling someone is following me. Right behind my shoulder, all the time. You, uh, talked it over with your husband? How did you... Oh, oh, my ring. He, he, he's away on a business trip. Well, if you want me to earn that 20 a day, you better give me something to go on. That's what makes it hard, Mr. Shane. It's a feeling. I, I tried to fight it myself, but I can't. It's there, all the time, someone right behind me. You said he's trying to kill you. Once it was a car, a small convertible. At night, I, I stepped off the curb and this car started towards me. I jumped back just in time. Hmm. Recognize the car? Johnny Terrence. A friend? A friend of my husband's. But he hates me. Johnny's always hated me. You think he's the guy that... If anybody I know is responsible, he must be the one. Well, I can have a talk with him. I don't know. I don't know. Right now, I feel secure, relaxed. Because I'm here? Oh, it's a switch. I can't fight this thing alone. Shirley! <laughs> been wondering where you were. Hello, Ralph. Michael Shane, Ralph Pierce. How do you do? Mr. Shane's a detective, Ralph. I... Here we go again. Oh, the cat! The cat! The cat's dog! Oh, Shirley, take the it easy. The cat's just after the bird, Mrs. Kearney. Dogging it. Creeping up there, on There, there, the bird flew away. Oh. Does this happen often, Mrs. Kerner? I can't stand it. Creeping. Mr. Shane, would you wait here just a moment? Yeah, sure. Come, my dear, I want to talk to Mr. Shane. You wait for me in the house. Uh, Mr. Shane, you are a detective? That's what the lady said. I presume you are to investigate Shirley's hallucination. Right again, Mr. Pierce. I'd like to help you. Yeah, you look like you're bubbling over with good intentions. What I mean is, save you trouble. Oh. You see, Mrs. Kernan is subject to mental aberrations. There must be an easier word. <laughs> this pursuit phobia, it's all mental, like a too vivid imagination. Like a hypochondriac who knows there's nothing wrong with him, but still feels aches and pains. Nobody's following her. Nobody. Nobody's trying to kill her. Absolutely not. 
Well, you know, before that cat and bird affair, I had the same opinion. But it must be nice to be as positive as you are about something. I know, Mr. Shane. That's what I said. You see, I'm new here. I just started to work. How do you fit in? I'm a friend of Shirley's. And this Johnny Terrence, he's a friend of her husband. That's right. I just want to get it all straight in my mind. Now, what does this husband think of your being a friend of Shirley's? Mr. Shane, I've been trying to help you. Yeah, just the way I thought you would. I could get to dislike you, Shane. Well, you work on it, Pierce. With a little effort, I'm sure you could get to hate me. Like I said, if it wasn't for that cat and bird business, I'd have probably washed it off quick, charged the 20 to experience, and gone home. But when I got finished talking to Pierce, it gave me ideas. Maybe somebody was trying to drive her crazy. Maybe Pierce. Maybe her husband. Maybe this Johnny Terrence had some answers. Wouldn't hurt to find out. Now, Mr. Terrence was home when I got there, getting ready to go out. The playboy type. Got a heavy date, Mr. Shane. What can I do for you? Information, Mr. Terrence. About what? Shirley Kearney. Oh? I'm sorry. I'm much too much in a hurry. I understand you're a friend of her husband's. Stan and I were very good friends once. Were. She fixed that. Well, she doesn't like you either. And that's a compliment. You'll pardon me now? She's in a pretty bad way. I'm trying to help her. Go right ahead. What can you tell me about Shirley? Nothing. Look, Johnny boy, I'm trying to be nice. It's tough, but I'm trying. You've been following her? Is that what you wanted to ask me? One of the things. Really, Mr. Shane, I'm late now for an end. You'd be real sorry if something happened to her, wouldn't you, Terrence? Oh, it would break my heart. Oh, real sweet guy. Hard to go. Goodbye, Mr. Shane. I should learn to control my temper. What is there about your kind of guy that riles me? Do I have to use force to get you to leave? You know, it'd be a pleasure. All right, Shane. That's a sucker punch. Leading with your right. Didn't they ever teach you that at prep school? Get out! Get out! Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, I I feel better. Yes, sir, I feel much better. These lounge lizards are all cut from the same pattern. You want to hit them the minute you see the supercilious grin on their faces. I was happy this one gave me the opportunity. But I got the feeling there was another side to this guy. His hate on Shirley Kernan went deep and smoldered steady. There was too much parlor stuff. Pierce was oily and Terrence was full of hate. The air was loaded with unspoken things and bitter feelings. Shirley Kernan was right at the core of it, too. Maybe something I wasn't paying enough attention to was her husband. If I was a traveling salesman who wanted to drive my wife crazy, I'd sure do it while I was supposed to be on the road. Well, I, I kicked it around in my head as I drove toward town. I wasn't going very fast when I noticed a big black sedan come roaring up to pass me. I eased over to the right to give him plenty of room, but he wanted more. I eased over until I was practically scraping the paint off the guardrail and protecting the highway from a 30-foot drop. I thought this guy must be three sheets to the wind, and, and then he really came at me. My car suddenly started to rumble. I, I tried to fight the wheel and get a look at the guy in the sedan, but I, I couldn't do both. I, I couldn't even do one. The guardrail splintered like matchsticks, and the steering wheel jumped out of my hands. I felt the car go up on his nose, poised for a second like a graceful elephant. Sometimes I get a head full of sense. I, I duck. The rear end won the toss, and we started downhill bouncing and rolling and twisting. I hung on and just hoped. I kept bouncing around and hitting the side so often and so hard, I felt like I was skating for a handball in a hot four-wall game. I caught a flash of a big tree. And then, then everything stopped. Except that crazy front wheel spinning uselessly in the air. Spinning and spinning. Then the Sandman came. I got very tired and closed my eyes. In a moment, we'll return to the new adventures of Michael Shane and the pursuit of death. What do Americans believe? Here's Hollywood movie star Phyllis Kirk. I believe that in merely being alive, we have a tremendous responsibility and that the responsibility is not only to our separate selves, but to one another. I believe it is in fear that we commit the crimes of intolerance and prejudice. My 
My first reaction to Shirley Kernan's hysterical fear about someone following her all the time and waiting to pounce on her was that she needed a doctor, not a private detective. But a couple of things happened that made me curious. First, there was this thing with the cat and the bird that almost made her go off the deep end. And then Ralph Pierce, her friend, tried to ease me out. And the parlor punk, Johnny Terrence, seemed to have some secrets, too. Finally, I got into an argument with a black sedan and lost the argument. My car went through the guardrail and over, and then I passed out. When I came to, the front wheel was in the air, still turning lazily like a ballerina ending a pirouette, so I knew I hadn't been out very long. Then a door was pulled open, and I saw a lot of sky. And Pierce's head right in the middle of it. Why, Mr. Shane, what happened? I was driving along, and I saw... Yeah, yeah. Hello, Pierce. You... You just happened along, huh? Oh, yes. I was driving along, saw this car down here. I had no idea it was yours. That's yeah, quite a coincidence. Yes, here. Let me give you a hand. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Can you walk all right? Yeah, I guess so. No broken bones. At least no important ones. Do you have many enemies, Mr. Shane? Yeah, whoever took me on this joyride wasn't a friend, Pierce. I'll take you to town in my car. You can call for a tow car at the first gas station. My insurance company's sure gonna hate me. You know, Mr. Shane, what I was telling you before about Mrs. Kernan, perhaps I was wrong. I think so, huh? I still don't believe Shirley's suffering from anything but delusions. But whoever did this to you, perhaps was meant as a warning. To mind my own business? Yes. This sort of thing happens to be my business. Certainly the money she's paying you can't compensate for bodily danger. Maybe not, but... Uh, is that your car, Mr. Pierce? Yes. Black sedan. Right fender scraped and dimpled. You know, the car that pushed me over is a dead ringer for yours. As you said before, quite a coincidence, isn't it? You seem to be quite a boy for coincidences. You see this bump on my jaw where it hit the dashboard? Yeah. Well, here comes another coincidence. You'll regret this. Now, later. I'm too busy now. If you want to ride back to town, the tow car will be coming back in a while. Why don't you wait, Mr. Pierce? Pierce's car purred like a contented tiger. I figured I'd stop at my office, clean up a bit, and get my 38 before I went any further on this case. I parked in front of my building and went up to the office. With my hand on the doorknob, I had a feeling. Not bad, but maybe just a little uneasy. I threw the door open and stepped aside. Nothing happened. Craned my neck and took a look. There was a man sitting in my client chair, the one with springs. At least I think it was a man. He had a turban on his head and flowing robes that covered his feet. His skin was dark and very white teeth smiled at me as he went into a short commercial. Permit me to introduce myself, Mr. Shane. I am Remu, seer and mystic in the realm of the mind. I am a friend of Mrs. Kerman. Not another one. I am aware you are trying to help her. Yeah. What can I do for you? Perhaps I can aid you. Perhaps. All I want to find out is whether her life is really in danger or if she just imagines her life's in danger. Her life is in danger, but I do not believe it is from a physical source. Nobody's trying to kill her? No one but herself. We all contain within ourselves the seeds of our own destruction. Yeah. No, I don't place you in this setup. I want to help her, too. You know John Terrence? No, I only know that Mrs. Kernan dislikes him and that he evidently dislikes her. Yeah, with gusto. How about Pierce, Ralph Pierce? A malignant person, Mr. Shane. An evil person. Oh? I do not know him well. I met him only once, but I felt the evil. It was my second meeting with him before I felt anything. But what about Shirley's husband? Would he be trying to drive her out of her mind? Mr. Shane, yeah? These problems of the mind, they are susceptible of various interpretations. You understand, I am a friend of Mrs. Kern. Yeah, you said that. I want only for her to have peace. Go on. There is one thing. Mrs. Kernan has always worn a necklace. Of one in particular, she was fond. A heavy gold mesh necklace. For many weeks now, she has ceased to wear it. I asked her about it, but she reacted strangely. I feel it is important. Yeah? What's the matter? Don't your feelings have the answer? Oh, these problems of the mind. And you think someone is trying to drive her out of her mind? That explanation is much too simple, Mr. Shane. 
I fear when you find the answer, it will prove to be a great deal more sinister. It was beginning to percolate. Like a gentle little thing where moose words stirred softly. Seemed to say something beyond what I actually heard. It would fit, too. It would answer all the questions. Well, it was late, almost 11 o'clock, when I parked in front of Shirley Kernan's house, went up the front steps. I could hear voices behind the door. It rang the bell. But, Shane, oh... Well, what's the matter? Am I interrupting something? No, no, no. How about inviting me in, then? Oh, oh, yes. Come in. Okay, okay, take it easy. Well, hello, Terrence. What happened, you two kiss and make up? This is my cue to exit. So long, Shirley. Relax. I'll see you some other time when the house isn't all cluttered. Always on the wing. Stick around, Butterfly. I want words with you. This time you don't catch me off balance, Shane. Come and go! Yeah, see, you're still a sucker for that right lead. All right, what are you doing here? What do you think he's doing here? You're trying to frighten me. Well, Terrence? I just wanted to find out if she'd heard from her husband. I haven't heard from Stan since he left. He usually writes. That's all, Terrence? Yes. You could have telephoned for I that. I did. She refused to talk to me. Have you heard from your husband, Mrs. Kernan? No. have gone quite a long time, hasn't he? Doesn't he usually write? Are you going to start on me now? I thought I could depend how, on how you. Pierce, I... Shirley, how about Pierce? Don't you depend on him? Shut up! I am cheat, Shirley. Don't you make Stan's life miserable? No wonder he likes to go on the road to get away from you. No wonder he doesn't write. I hate you. I hate you. You're the one behind all this. You're the one creeping behind me all the time. Mrs. You... Kernan, stop. Ask him. Go on. Ask him. It's here in this room. The Behind me, it's him, I tell you, evil, rotten. You belong in a hospital. You see, you see. Mrs. Kernan, you used to wear a gold mesh necklace. You don't wear it anymore. Why? No, no. May I see it, please? No, you can't. What are you trying to do to me? You're all against me. You all like to see me dead. Look, Mrs. Kernan, we... What is it? You hear it? I don't hear a thing. You're out of your... Now. Behind me. Coming closer. Well, whatever it is, it's not inside the room. It's not behind you. Come in. Well, hello, everybody. What's the gun for, Pierce? Just protection. Shirley, come with me. Put it away, Pierce. I haven't forgotten our last meeting, Shane. Not one bit. Come on, Shirley. I won't go with you. I won't. I won't. You'll do as I say, Shirley. You're all against me. No one cares about me. I do, my dear. It's here. It's here in this room. Coming closer. It won't touch me. I won't let it. Shirley, come back here, Shirley. You won't find me. I'll hide. I'll be with myself. All by myself. Well, Pierce, you didn't make the grade in the big scene. As a stand-in for her husband, you're a fool. It isn't over yet. Let's have my car key, Shane. I lost I'm it. in no mood to quibble about shooting you. Say, Shane. It's better. Yeah. Thanks. Now, if you two are wise men, you'll stay here. Everything's under control now. Let's keep it that way. Without bloodshed. I don't get this. What goes on, Shane? You got a car, Terrence? Yes, outside. You want to find out what it's all about? Yes, but... What's happened to Shirley? It looks like we'll have the answer pretty quick. Come on, or we'll lose him. Terrence drove. He's a pretty good driver for a guy who spent most of his time steering his way around nightclub tables. We went through the downtown section faster than the law allows, keeping Pierce's car in sight. Once or twice, we spotted Shirley's coupe a few blocks ahead of Pierce. Pierce didn't know it, but he was mighty helpful. We kept on in Indian file. They're heading out of town. We're doing 70 and not catching up. How are the tires on this jalopy, Terrence? Front ones are fine. In the back? We'll find out. Uh-huh. Well, maybe I had you wrong, Terrence. You got guts. Thanks, Shane. Come around the office sometime. Give you a few lessons in the manly art. The deal, if I can practice on you. <laughs> like I said, maybe I got you wrong. They're taking a fork to the left and slowing up. All right, careful. We're getting too close. Got one of the headlights. All right, turn them off. We don't need them. Pierce's shot at us was sort of a feeble last effort, and the cause he must have known was lost. When we got around the bend, Pierce's car was just pulling off the road, a few feet behind Shirley's coupe. It was a grassy place near the river. Shirley was running, her hair flying in the wind. A bright moon had cut the clouds. It was almost like twilight, sort of eerie. Pierce started out after as we parked, and we started after them. Shirley! Shirley, come back! She reached a sandy place in the bank and fell to her knees. Pierce got to her and started to bend down to pick her up, but he... He stopped halfway and just watched, sort of fascinated. And then it hit me full force. I stopped dead. What is it, Shane? What's she doing? It's all over, Terrence. Nobody can help Shirley Kernan anymore. 
In a moment, we'll be back with a thrilling climax to tonight's Michael Shane adventure. Four score and seven years ago... Each year, some two million visitors to Washington, D.C. read those words of the Gettysburg Address from the inscription on one wall of the Lincoln Memorial. On another wall is the second inaugural address. And in the center sits Daniel Chester French's majestic figure of the great emancipator. One of the most beautiful tributes to a great man... The Lincoln Memorial is another American landmark of liberty. We stood there about 50 yards from the river, watched Shirley Kernan on her hands and knees at the bank of the river. It was all cold inside and sort of sick. Terrence had stopped when I did. He he didn't get it. Come on, Shane. What are you waiting for? All right. All right, Terrence. Shirley's hands were in the sand when we got there. She was digging furiously and mumbling to herself. Pierce was quiet. Watch. And the claim again. Having me again. Nobody will be able to touch me or hurt me. Having me. And all alone. Shirley, don't, my dear. I'll handle it, Pierce. All right, Mrs. Kernan. It's all right. I must take. I must. No, no, everything's all right. Nobody will hurt you. Nobody will hurt me? No. You're safe now. I don't get it, Shane. I sound like a broken record, but I don't get it. Uh, strain was too much. Pierce can tell you. Can't you, Pierce? Yes. Yes, it's all over now. All over. We left Shirley's car there. She drove back to town with Terrence and me. Pierce followed Shirley was like a child now, looking up at me with those big eyes as if I were going to protect her. Only there wasn't even fear in her eyes anymore. Just a blank kind of look that I'd never want to see again. She's really cracked up, doesn't she? Yeah, like Humpty Dumpty. All the king's men can't help. But why? What caused it? Hard, simple enough. The way she lost control when she saw a cat stalking a bird on the lawn. The delusion she had of being followed. The idea someone was trying to jump on her from behind. And her gold necklace. I know all that, but I don't... Well, you see, she... She was running away. Nobody was following her. Oh, I don't have to run anymore. What was she running away from? Herself. What? Her conscience. Pierce knew it all the time, I guess. Or suspected. He was trying to protect her, but he couldn't do it. No one could. Sometimes you get a case you don't like. But you're in business and you take what you get. Shirley's mind had played a trick. It had forced the knowledge of her guilt into her subconscious so that she was able to forget what she'd done. But her subconscious couldn't forget. The two forces fighting each other finally snapped her mind. I guess there's always some kind of retribution one way or another. In her case, the toughest kind. Next morning, when the police got to the spot at the bank of the Mississippi with shovels, they found what I knew they would. The proof of Shirley's guilt. The grave of Shirley's husband, Stanley Kernan. He'd been choked to death from behind with a gold mesh necklace. Our story is based on characters created by Brett Halliday. The music is composed and conducted by John Duffy, and Michael Shane is portrayed by Jeff Chandler. That's it for this week. We'll be back next week with more old-time radio. I hope you can join us then. Till then, this is Jim Dolan thanking you for listening. Listening.